The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 71 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. The Pobscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and within the world around us. When is it time to turn inward? When we show up for the people we love, our attention is diverted from other things. There's so much in this world that's competing for our time and attention. And the result of all this attention grabbing, our inner center is often left unattended. When we focus outwardly, and this is especially true for helping professionals, we tend to ignore the important inner work that needs to happen in order to take care of ourselves. My guest today has done extensive work around how we show up in the world to different people with a fully integrated life. I'm delighted to bring you the wisdom of Dave Connolly. Dave thinks of each individual life as a series of concentric circles. There's the innermost circle of you, and then the circles around represent your relationship to the rest of the world. Dave is going to tease apart some of the most important relationships and how feeding and nurturing and tending to that inner circle can extend its influence to the rest of your relationships. He's also going to tease out an excellent understanding of resilience and how the right kind of self-nurturing can build us up to weather the storm. Dave speaks from a place of personal experience and interpersonal empathy that rings so true for me. His calling to helping professionals, anyone in general, is to put more work on your innermost self, place less focus and energy on being seen. We show up the most visibly when our innermost self is nurtured and loved. Dave teaches us techniques to help us slow down, pause, and take care of ourselves with small, sustainable shifts. Once we learn how to do that, our impact on the rest of the world becomes that much more effective. You ready? Dave, I'm so happy to have you here with me today. I'm really excited to dive in. Thank you, Rebecca. Me too. So a lot of what you talk about, similarly to what I talk about, but in a very different way, is an integration point between the personal and the professional parts of how someone shows up. Mm, Very much so. Do you want to start there? Can we start by just talking about how that is such a huge part of your work? Mm. So when I start with a new client, a lot of things come up. One of the reoccurring patterns that happens over and over again is if you think of your life as concentric circles, right? At the very, very center is yourself. It's your spiritual practice. It's your self-practice. It's how you move. It's how you eat. It's how you take care of yourself. Just the very, very center. It's you, right? And then outside of that circle are your relationships, your friends, your family, your kids. Outside of that, your vocation. Things that you do that you trade your time for something else, for money or for whatever. And then outside of that, your community, and maybe outside of that, you know, how you show up in the world. What I often find over and over again is that people spend most of their time out in relationship land. 
I mean, it's instinctual in us. We have to take care of our kids. We want to feel love and be in a partnership. We get so much from having friends. We spend all of our time out there and we forget about ourselves. Or we spend all of our time in vocation land. We work the long hours. We spend a lot of time in vocation. We're just really working all the time because we get rewarded for that. And these are the things that I find over and over again is that people take care of their kids, take care of their family, take care of everything other than themselves. And that's where it becomes really apparent that if you start taking care of yourself, you start thinking of you and your practices, how you eat, how you exercise, how you sleep, how you take care of yourself, all of those things that are self-care, then you have the ability to bring so much more to your relationships and so much more to your vocation and so much more to the community and to the world at large. So people tend to reach out to you for your consultation and support and coaching, your mentoring, when they hit a point where they're doing probably really, really well in their careers, but something is faltering in terms of their ability to tune inward. Definitely. So just an example for me was that I spent all my time really in vocation land. I was the youngest executive at my company. I had increasing responsibilities at very young ages. You know, I had uh, huge budgets and lots of people, and that's what I was rewarded for, right? And I had to spend an enormous amount of energy as somebody who was very, very overweight, an enormous amount of energy to be seen, to actually, you know, just raise my hand and say, hey, listen to me. I had to be exceptional at the work that I did because I had such a problem, a bias that was against me from other people. Even if they didn't recognize it, it was often unconscious, but I was the fat executive. And so like being out in vocation land and not taking care of myself was something that I didn't even realize what was going on. It hindered my work. And it goes from there. So the people that I work with are often people who are executives or they're directors, they're mid-level, right? Or they're a little bit senior level. And they're really, really trying to get to the next level. They like want to be in the C-suite. They really want to have a bigger stake at the table and they just don't know what's stopping them. And when it comes up over and over and over again, that it's really their weight and uh, what comes with their weight, which is the anxiety, the fear, the wanting to hide, the conflict that's within them, and the ability to actually just go out there and just be them without having this backpack full of stuff that's following them really opens up huge possibilities. As soon as you don't have the cognitive load of having food or the rest of your life really weighing you down, then anything is really possible. You can live limitlessly. So there are so many pieces of what you just said that are so poignant. But one of the things that I'm really taking away from that is that when you don't have to push and work so hard to be seen, Mm-hmm. That the being and the the effort that was previously going towards that is freed up to go to so many other things. Because it sounds to me like what you're saying is when you refocus this, like instead of pushing on everybody around you, like see me, see me, notice me, I'm doing great work, I'm putting forth all my effort into this. And you redirect some of that energy back into taking care of yourself 
then that's kind of the magic potion, isn't it? You don't necessarily have to push so hard to get seen again in other ways when you're putting that effort on yourself. It's not just the magic potion, and it's not just a little bit. It turns out that it's everything. And that's the leap that people have to make. And it happens over and over and over again. Time and time again, I have so much proof of this that as soon as somebody says, I'm first here, I have to be the rock. I have to be the foundation before I can go out into family and relationship land, before I can go out into vocation land, before I can go out in my community. I have to be first. And here's the clearest example that happened to me over and over and over again is that I would spend a long day at work and not necessarily in a job that I really liked, but it paid me really well and it fed my ego and there was you know, so many things that I thought I was supposed to do around that, living really in a cage of my own making. And I would come back from a really hard day and it was really hard to wind down because my mind would be just spinning in that direction. And so it was really super easy for me to sit on the couch and have a glass of wine and, you know, a pint of Ben and Jerry's and just sit there with Netflix and just like decompress. Those are all self-soothing things. I mean, it just like it feels good. So having that as a foundation doesn't really serve you. So it starts with that self-care because as soon as you have that as a foundation, when the things get rough in your life, when the stress comes, when the change happens, when all of those things about your life happen, then you have a rock-solid foundation of like, oh, the one thing I need to do today is take care of me first. And then everything flows from that. And not having that load, not having that load really means that anything is truly possible. And you bring so much more to your work and you bring so much more to your relationships and so much more to the community. That's when things really move for people. So I know from having talked to you before that conceptually, this sounds yeah. like a, okay, yeah, okay, I got it. I got to focus on me, but yeah. putting this into action, yeah. right? That's where things really need to actually slow down. Mm, very much so. When you add something to your life, you have to take something away. You can't just say, well, I'll get up earlier. I'll stay up later. I'll try and make more time. And when the moment somebody says, I don't have time for something, it means that their life is chaos, that there are too many things going on. And then they'll say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't give up that. And then it's like, well, really? Is that truly the case? I mean, do you really think that the people that love you the most want you to be unhealthy or sick or unavailable to them because all of the time that you're spending on them? Do you really think that the people you work for or the business that you do or the things that you do that you trade money for, do you really think that you're really bringing everything to those things that really move the bar? Or even if you're even in a vocation that you really love, a lot of people are just trapped in the no, can't, and won't because they believe that those are the things that they're supposed to do. No, can't, and won't. Like, I can't do it. I won't do it. Yeah. I can't, won't, and don't. You know, can you get to right. can, will, and do? I mean, really, you know, living with the expectations of others means that you are just not taking care of yourself. And so, like, the reality of doing this is that you just start small. Every one of my clients, when they begin, there's one thing that I have them do, and I have them do it for one week. And that is to get, you know, like a Nalgene bottle or something, something that you can see through and just fill it with water and drink a liter of water. 
okay, you know. You're talking about really small and sustainable. Yes. Shifts that it's additive. You're adding in this new thing, Mm -hmm. but you're being slow about what you're asking them to take away. And this is just how I'm conceiving of this. Having done some of this type of work in my own life, constantly trying to refine my own practice around this. But what you're really asking is I'm not going to make you take big things away until you're ready to take them away. And it's adding the right things and slowing down on the things that really don't serve you. Mm -hmm. So creating habit is something that takes time for us. And so drinking a liter of water every day, that's like, okay, yeah, people sign up for that. Yeah, I already drink water or maybe I don't drink enough water and that sounds really good. And you know what? When people fail, because we do, that's how we learn. It might start with beating yourself up. It's like, oh, you know what I did? And I didn't do my yoga practice today. Oh, you know what? I didn't do as a meditation. Oh, you know, I didn't really connect with friends. You know, all of the things that, you know, are like, oh, I wish I'd done this. At least they did one thing and they can celebrate that, which is they drank a liter of water. That's amazing, right? I mean, that's amazing. Celebrate Mm -hmm. that. Celebrate it. And I think this is the other thing that I'm hearing a lot of. There's this need to celebrate. Right. Instead of getting down on yourself and saying what you can't do or what you won't do or what you don't have time for and how chaotic your life is, what can you celebrate about what you can do or what you did do? Definitely. The bad experiences of life. I heard this quote. Things that are not so great in our life are like Velcro and the things that are really great in our life are like Teflon. So, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like I have had thousands of great experiences with dogs, but the one that bit me is the one I remember. And so recognizing and reframing that, oh, wow, you know, I've done some really, really good things and I know that I can do that again. And it's that the waves of life constantly will be happening to us. That's how we survived. I mean, evolutionarily, that's how we survived. It's like, well, the waves of life are out there and we have to make sure that we are in a place of safety and security, right? And when people recognize that they're not the waves, because if you are the waves, then you'll just spend most of your time seasick, you realize that you're the ocean. And there are so many things that you can actually take from that. So this brings me into another spot that I know you like to talk about, which is resilience. Mm, definitely. So resilience. I'm thinking of it like the reason I went there is because I'm thinking, well, if I'm the ocean, mm-hmm. if I'm not the wave, but I'm the ocean, that yeah. just gave me quite a picture of what resilience looks like. Yes. And so I'm trying to think where I go with this, because these are the things that we've already, you know, kind of like yeah. already hit on, which is like, well, you know what? Ben and Jerry's and a glass of wine and Netflix, man, that's good, right? (laughs) It's good. It's good. But it doesn't necessarily help you do all the other things that you want to do. It feels good in this moment. It's like right now, okay, I can sink into this pint of Ben and Jerry's, but Mm -hmm. what effect is it going to have on me later? Yes. I mean, that's the short term. That's what we're doing. That's the self-soothing of like, oh, I need to be resilient. So I need to take care of myself. And this is what feels good right now, right? So this is something like this is our quick fix or that the tough things in life happen to us every day. I mean, we have challenges every single day. 
you know, do I do this? Do I not do this? You know, this happened last time and I don't want to have that happen again. Oh man, I wish I was doing this. I wish I was doing that. I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, ah, you know, just the inner voice that is, if my inner voice was another person, it would be criminal. (laughs) Mine too. Right. (laughs) So combating against all of this and putting this all aside and building resilience means Resilience used to mean, you know, kind of conventional thought is that you you sort of get punched and knocked down and you can like get yourself back up and you can shake it off and you can get up and do it again. And okay, you know, that sounds okay. But the reality of resilience is that we have to be resilient in our life every day. And, you know, we don't want to live this life of being punched and knocked down. We want to live a life where those waves of life happen and they make us stronger. They don't break us down. They don't dive us into the Ben and Jerry's. They don't dive us into areas of self-loathing. They don't dive us into areas where, you know, our inner voice is, is just really brutal on us. And so, you know, taking care of first resilience and first taking care of you is really key. And starting small, like I said, with the Nalgene bottle. And I think of it in the context of what are all of the little areas that are foundational. And it starts with the things that you are already doing. So like, how's your sleep? You know, how's your exercise? How's your diet? What's your meditative practice or your self-practice? So you can even think of those as, I love this acronym, meds, you know, mindfulness, exercise, diet, and sleep. And, love and that. right. Take your meds. Take your meds. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention to your meds. Be mindful of those meds because those meds, the mindfulness, the exercise, the diet and the sleep, that is what sustains you. Oh, absolutely. And those are the things that quiet those inner voices that allow you to actually live that limitless life. Those are those foundational things. And each one of those just has nuances and little things that you can do. Like just every single one of them has like, ooh, I can do that. Ooh, I can do that. Ooh, I can do that. I can build that muscle in order to say, okay, like a year from now, I'm going to be a different person because a year from now, you are going to be a different person. But can you be kind to yourself today? Can you be kind to your future self? I mean, that's really the question. It is. And I think, you know, often one of the reasons that we have so much trouble getting to that place of being kind to ourselves is because we lack foresight. Mm. Yeah, that's a funny thing. You know, I think about that a lot is that, okay, like mindfulness or meditation, mindfulness. I want to define that a little bit. Go ahead. Okay. So it's... I think for a lot of people, when I think mindfulness and meditation, they think about, you know, sitting in a cave in, you know, like a lotus position and like, you know, letting go of everything and, you know, just being one with the universe. Like, okay, sounds great. You know, let's also talk about the 21st century and what it means, you know, for mindfulness and meditation. So there's like that idea of you sitting in a cave. Okay, I got it, right? Or, you know, like embracing these Buddhist ideas and these concepts. And it's like, okay, I get it. And then I hear over and over again, it's like, oh, I tried to meditate and like, I can't do it, right? You know, I can do it for a few minutes and I can't do that. I'm like, okay, great. Yes, agreed. And there's a lot of different ways that you can look at mindfulness and meditation. But here's something that I also really love, which is like, if you think about your attention, that your attention in the moment and the attention in the now. And what's the things that steal your attention over and over and over again? Well, for me, what steals my attention is my phone. 
my phone is just like this constant companion of beeping and buzzing and madness that I'm constantly looking at and it's constantly diverting my attention and my ability to actually get the things that I want to do is constantly interrupted by my phone. And there's just, I took like three or four like small steps on my phone and man, has it made a huge difference in my life. I mean, things like I've blocked, you can go into the settings of your phone that you might use for your kids. And I'm just a big kid. So it's like, look, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to block a bunch of websites that I go to over and over and over again. I'm a news junkie. So it's like, you know what? I don't have to go to CNN every 15 minutes and see with the latest weirdness. Here's the one notifications. Notifications are like insane. Why don't you today just turn off all the notifications on your phone? that don't have to do with people. You know, it's okay. Like keep the, you know, the ones that ring your phone or the texts or the things, but turn off all the other ones that don't have to do with people. And if you are really bold, and this one you know, took me a little bit of thinking, is that I also took off social media apps on my phone. I don't have them. So I took off the Facebooks of the world. I took off the Instagrams. I took off the Snapchats. And those kind of time sinks and those kind of attention stealers wow, did that open up a lot of just time for me? So that's, for me, mindfulness is about attention. And so, yes, I do have a meditative practice. And that is something that I love doing. And that is something that people can get into. There are so many different ways. And if you just think about your attention and keeping in today, that would be great. I'm totally there with you. I've deleted pretty much all of the social media apps from my phone. I want to steal that website blocking tip because I found the back loop to getting to some of the social media. So <laughs> right, we're going to go there. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the interesting things that happened when I did that, all of a sudden, like my hands felt empty. Mm. You know, and like I had to sit with myself, especially when I got uncomfortable. Yeah, I actually had to stay present. So talking about attention, like sometimes I think it's not just that these things are taking our attention away from us. Mm-hmm. Well, they are. They're taking our attention yeah. away from us, but they're quite literally distracting us from the places where we probably need the most holding. Oh, oh, definitely. You know, there's only a finite amount of attention that we have in any given day. And if we keep splitting those things up over and over again, then it takes time to refocus from thing to thing to thing. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, there were these variety shows. And I always remembered the guy who would have spinning plates. He would put plates on top of a stick and he would spin the plates. And then he would have like a dozen plates up there and he would run back and forth and spin these plates. And this attention and going back and back and forth, you spend most of your time running between the things. I mean, the people who say, I'm a really good multitasker, I question them. It's like, really? I'm like, how much do you really get done? You might move like a hundred things like a step forward, but what is the one thing you got done today? That's the question I have for folks. And when it comes to attention, you know, the machines, the computers, the phones, the watches in our world are built to grab our attention because the way these companies make money is advertising. And when there's a one-to-one correlation between advertising and stock price, they are going to push every monkey button in us in order to make sure that we are attached to them and that they have our eyeballs and they have our attention. You have to break that. I love that you called it a monkey button because I think that you're hitting on something here, right? This is neurological. This is built into how our brains work. 
Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so when we're talking about attention, you know, I like to break down the word attention. I even like to sometimes talk about like love when we're talking about loving another or loving mm-hmm. ourselves. I like to break down these words into the word tending. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much about tending to. And so when I'm looking at your prescription here for these meds, right? Mindfulness, exercise, diet, and sleep. I'm thinking, yeah, these are probably all things that I need to be tending to. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if I can ever get them so that they're at a place where I don't need to tend to them. Even if they're in a really good place, I still am tending to them. It's like a garden. When you stop tending to it, it grows weeds or it stops growing or it needs watering or you need to continue to tend to it. It's the practice. Absolutely the practice. And it's something that I work on every single day. So the attention, the addiction, all of those things, they extend to so many aspects of our life. So let's talk about maybe diet a little bit. I work specifically with people, like I said, often executives, but all sorts of people, people who really want to change their life in any given way. And you've told me in the past that the majority of the clients who come to see you have to lose about a half to a third of their body weight. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. So somewhere between a third and a half of their body. And those are the people who... They're the same things, the same parts of us that that trigger our monkey brain are the same ones that food does. The the same neural pathways are like, ooh, food is good. Food is self-soothing. I'm going to do this in order to escape from something else. And we get into a space where we don't even think about food. I mean, when was the last meal that you really remembered? And it's like, well, yeah, I know what I had for breakfast. I mean, like, did you really, you know, enjoy that? Or did you just kind of eat it down? Did you sit across from someone or did you sit in front of the TV or did you sit in front of your computer? Were you really paying attention to what you were eating? For somebody who needs to lose a third or half of their body, the... The act of eating mindfully is part of the way to get there. Tremendous piece of it because... You have to change your relationship with food. Food is something that controls you, just like your phone can control you. And it's an opportunity for you to actually control food. And that's the piece that I work on so much. It's the mental aspects of food. Dave, I'm thinking of your concentric circles that we started with in the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. And I'm going back into that one all the way in the middle, the one about yourself, Mm -hmm. right? I'm guessing that we can probably even make more and more circles within it as we start talking about the depth of these relationships we have with things like food or our phones or Mm -hmm. like the exercise or our sleep because we have relationships with all of these different aspects of ourselves also. Yeah. So where can I go with that for you? I'm really liking this idea of really breaking it down and starting to talk more and more about these relationships that we have Mm. that we need to tend to within ourselves. We know about these relationships in the outer world, but also these relationships that are within us and that live in our life that we have control over when we put our attention there. They really shape how we live. They shape who we are as humans. They shape what capacities we have for other relationships. And they even shape our livelihoods. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So there's a couple of things. One of them is that 
I have been working really, really diligently on living integrated life. You know, the vast majority of people, they have a home life, they have those relationships, they have their kids, they have their vocation, they have community, and these are all separate things. Or they have a mind experience, like they're in their head about things, and then they have a body thing, like they do exercise. And we are integrated wholes. And so an integrated life means that your vocation, your work, your play, yourself, your relationships, you recognize that they're all intertwined. And yes, we start with that foundation of self and how we pay attention to all of the different aspects of us and the relationships between those things. And I don't know where that is going. I was liking this integrated life piece. Yeah, there is an integrated life. I can talk about that. Well, why don't we do this? Yeah. You have spent so much of your attention and your time focusing on living this integrative life. Can you bring us in and let us know how you got there? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I was just thinking about that. Absolutely. So I spend a lot of time and energy ensuring that I'm living and very integrated life because I'm not separate people. I'm not a separate mind and body. They're connected. They are us. My work, you know, my vocation, myself as a foundation, my relationships all intertwined. These are, you know, I can't even think about them separately. I can only think about them in different balances and focuses with the foundation and the beginning of that being my self-work. So six years ago, I was in a job that I hated. I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day, and I weighed 330 pounds. And the real joy in my life was my wife, Carol. And one day, she caught a cold, and a few days later, I had to turn off the life support. And, and that was the moment when I decided to live a life worth living. I quit that job. I stopped smoking. I started the journey, the long journey of losing weight and caring for myself. But mostly what I did was learn to love myself as much as I loved Carol. What a journey. The thing is, is that everything I did, I already knew. It was already there. This journey of radical self-care, it was already within me. I didn't have to learn anything new. I didn't have to do anything new. And the work that I do today is about helping people with that journey to act as their guide, as their coach, as their person to help them through. Because it can be very, very lonely being so overweight and wanting to make changes and not knowing how, but you do. And that's the work that I do is helping people learn to love themselves as much as they love their kids or their vocation or their community or all of the other different aspects of them. I do a lot of this work too. So I wonder if we can muse together for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I hit the same topic in different ways, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if we could talk about what some of those roadblocks are. What was in your way before you knew how to love yourself in this way? What kind of things are in the way for the clients that you work with? Mm. It's almost like what's not in their way. You know, it's building that cage around us. And it takes time to build that cage. It's like, well, well, you're supposed to take care of your kids. I'm like, okay, yes. Yes, you are. We have to. <laughs> you want to be, you know, you want to show up in your relationships. You want to better yourself in some way, you know, go to school or 
have a job that you like or all those things, right? We're supposed to do those things. They feel good. And that's how our social structures work. That's how the community says, oh, this is who you are. And the things that get in the way of my clients are that their attention is just elsewhere. I will often get a client in their 40s and 50s. And that moment in the 40s and 50s is that like, oh, okay, so I am sort of at midlife. You know, my kids are a little bit older. They might be teens or off to college. Might be an empty nester. My job, you know, I've kind of topped out at it, you know, where I'm at. And what's happened year over year over year is that, you know, you put on a few pounds here and a few pounds there and a few pounds here, and then suddenly you're 100 pounds overweight. And this isn't crazy. You know, obesity is an epidemic of insane proportions, and it's getting worse. And so the people that in their 40s and 50s, they're like, oh, you know what? There is a bigger life that I want. There are so many things that I've been spending giving to other people or giving to other things over and over again. It's like, when do I start giving to myself? Well, now is the time because I want to live a good and healthy life. I have people who come to me. It's like, you know what? What I really want is to be able to play on the ground or at the beach or in outside with my grandchildren. That would make me really, really happy. I would maybe like to see my great-grandchildren. If anything, I would like to be at my kid's wedding. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, let's go do that. <laughs> Those are the things that people want is that at the end of your life, it is not the accumulation of the stuff that you have. It is not the accomplishments that you made. It is not the things. It is that you are loved and that you have loved well. And those are the things that I focus on because it's about loving yourself first. That's where you can actually get the love. I love that. At the end of your life, it's not about the things you've accumulated, but it's about whether or not you have loved and been loved well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what this really all points back to, it's like all directionality coming back to being with yourself. When our relationships are off kilter, our relationships to food, our relationships to sleep, our relationships to the people in our lives, to, to work, oftentimes this comes back to there's something within ourselves that we're not tending to, that we're not paying attention to. Okay, we'll take the foundation, the absolute foundation, the thing that sort of starts everything is sleep. I mean, we do it every day, hopefully. We spend, you know, a third of our life doing it. But what happens when you don't sleep well? I mean, what happens? I'm a grouch. Yeah, right? And I'm focused. Yeah. And then I eat badly. And then I can't pay attention to anything. <laughs> Should I go on? <laughs> exactly. You know, like, I will wake up in the middle of the night and, like, my mind will be spinning. Or, like, I can't get to sleep. You know, something, right? You know, like, I am amped up and my brain is running and running and running. And it totally goes into all of those different places. I mean, like, what kind of great day have you ever had on four or five hours of sleep? I mean, how, right? I mean, you can push through, but you're pushing, <laughs> you know? And then because you're spending so much energy just trying to find the energy, you don't have the same capacity to be and enjoy and to take it in. 
my goal is usually to find my next cup of coffee. I mean, like I'm spending most of my time doing that, you know, it's like, well, really, you know, I could actually be spending time on, you know, myself, my relationships, getting some movement in my life. You know, it's like, so sleep. But then if you have too much coffee, you can't sleep the next day. Isn't that funny how that keeps on keeping on? You know, and then you were like, well, I didn't get enough done today. It's like, oh, then you'll wake up in the middle of the night or you can't get to sleep because you're like, oh, I'm worried about that. I'm like, okay, it's a vicious cycle. And it's like, okay, so what are the things that we can do around sleep? Well, have a comfortable bed. I spend money on a bed, uh, you know, making sure that it's comfortable. Well, you want to spend like at least, what, eight hours a night in it, right? So, yeah. the folks that say, oh, I do really well on four hours of sleep. And I'm like, oh, God bless you. That's great. And there are people who can absolutely do that. There's a genetic marker for it. But you know how many people have that genetic marker? About one or two percent of the entire population. So if you're looking at a room of a hundred people, there might be one in there who's like, I'm great at four hours of sleep. The rest of us are kidding ourselves. You absolutely need seven to eight hours of sleep every single night. And that can be a serious challenge. And so like getting that right for my clients, I will tell you every time that somebody is stalled and it happens, right? You know, when you have to lose a lot of weight, things will stall. And it's not because of what they're eating. Nine times out of 10, it's how they're sleeping. And that sleep is this amazing time when your hormones are cleaned up, your brain is cleaned up. There are so many repair functions that are going on that regulate all aspects of like who we are in our mind and our body. Getting that great sleep is so key and it cascades to so many different things. It's deep restoration. It's pretty much our best restoration, right? There's really nothing more than that, you know? Get great sleep. If that's a challenge, you know what I'll do? I'll put together a guide to great sleep, and you can point folks to that on my website. And so that would be great. You know, it's like these are the things that I have my clients do that really aid them. Here's the most basic one, and I'll tell you, nobody thinks of this one. Is there anything that's like really emotionally charged in your bedroom right now? Um. Other than my relationship. (laughs) There is that. And sometimes kicking out a spouse or relationship might be a wise thing, although not necessarily like the best, but yeah. A photo of someone that's past or even good things, right? You know, so like maybe something that you purchase that has a story behind it. That's like a little sure. bit charged. You have something in your bedroom like yeah. that. Yeah, right? I have a really awesome framed drawing that one of my children drew for my husband and I. Really great. Think about relocating that to another place. Maybe not your bedroom. You know, your bedroom is meant for two things and everything else try and put it aside. So you're talking about really clearing everything out. Get rid of all the clutter. Yeah. Anything that's emotionally charged. Or here's another one. Please, for the love of all things holy, charge your cell phone, charge your computer, charge everything outside of your bedroom. Right. Don't plug it in by your bedside. Please don't. Just put it anywhere else in where you live. So go pick up an alarm clock that doesn't need your phone. Yeah, 100%. You know, spend $5 on an alarm clock. It will improve your sleep. So focus on those two things that your bedroom's for. It's not for watching TV. It's not for browsing your computer. It's not for having like super emotionally charged objects in it. Improve your sleep. Man, it will go a long way to improving your life. 
I love that. And yeah, we will link to the document that you'll share with us in our show notes so that our listeners can find it there. That would be great. What about your tips for adding in more? Well, I guess sleep is the main one, right? When you get the good sleep, the exercise is easier. The diet is meditation is easier. Yeah. All of the things are easier with good sleep. So sleep is the main one. If we can clean up our sleep habits a little bit, then we mm-hmm. can start making a lot more shifts in our lives. Yes. Get that one straight. And then the rest start becoming a lot easier, not necessarily automatic. It takes a long time for things to get automatic. And you're like, "Uh," you know, it's like, well, you know, what's it mean by having a movement practice? What's it mean by having, you know, a change in your attitude towards food? Like, what's it mean to, you know, pay attention to yourself? I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to look at that. But yeah, the foundation is definitely sleep. And then it's about what you put in your mouth. You know, if you're trying to fundamentally change yourself, your body, your self-image, anything, it's about what you put in your mouth. There has been a tremendous sin in our thinking that happened in the 60s and 70s with a lot of medical science that came out that, frankly, was sponsored by not the best people in the world. They were sponsored a lot by the food industry. And what they did was that they linked diet and exercise. And so they could say, oh, you know what? You can eat anything you want just as long as you exercise. You know, you can have all of us food, but you have to exercise. Make sure that you exercise. I'm like, okay, yes. Make sure that you get some movement. You definitely need that. But if you're trying to lose weight, oh, no, 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 no. It really is 90% of what you put in your mouth is what's going to show up in your body. It's maybe that 10% that you can sort of exercise and ramp up your metabolism and all the things that you hear. But when you look at it, when you think about it, the amount of exercise you would have to do in order to burn off enough calories in any given day is insane. So if you are running a marathon three or four times a week, great you can definitely eat whatever it is you want. I would say you'd want to be more on the healthy side than on the unhealthy side, but frankly, you're going to need to eat a lot of food. But otherwise, you know, going to a Pilates class and then saying, oh, you know what? I've really had, you know, a great workout today. I've really did some really good stuff. I'm going to have some ice cream to reward myself. And that happens all the time. And you know what? Every movement that you did in that 60-minute class is gone as soon as you throw down two or 300 calories of anything else. So please focus on what you put in your mouth if you want to change your body. I think this goes a little bit bigger. It's not just focusing on what you put in your mouth, but it's being mindful of what you're putting in your mouth, but also how you're putting it in your mouth. The mindfulness around this is another key piece here. You know, it's so easy to eat mindlessly, to not pay attention, that bringing that mindfulness back is, that's part of this. Oh, yeah. And it happens all the time. It happened to me this morning. I had breakfast and I was reading. Uh, during it. And so I wasn't really thinking about what I was eating. I tend to eat about the same breakfast every morning. So I was okay with that. But for lunch, I'm going to change that. And one of the practices that I have my clients do is called just mindful eating. And it's that one meal. It just pick one meal. Try one meal this week, maybe. And don't eat in front of the computer or your phone or with a friend or, you know, anything else. If you choose a lunch and if you're at your office, don't eat on your desk. Just go anywhere else and really focus on what you're eating. How does it taste? How does it feel in your mouth? What 
are the different aspects of everything about this food. How was it grown? Who might have harvested it? How did it get to you? How was it prepared? What is it nourishing your body with? And taking each and every bite. It might take you 40 minutes to eat a salad, but I will tell you it is one of the most pleasurable experiences that we have is eating. It's supposed to feel good. That's how we got here, right? You know, if food didn't taste like anything, then we're going to be like, eh, I don't need that. And we wouldn't be here that long, right? Food is supposed to be good. It's supposed to taste good. It's supposed to give us pleasure. That's one of the reasons why we do it, right? It nourishes our body. So what are all of the different things that happen to the thing that is in front of you in order to get to you and to nourish your body? That's mindful eating. Just take one meal and try it. I love it. I love that so much of what we're hearing in this conversation is slow down, Mm -hmm. pay attention, Mm -hmm. and then do that again. (laughs) Rinse, repeat, rewind, play. (laughs) And the limitless life pops. 100% of the time, I fundamentally changed my life as soon as I started paying attention to myself. Yes, I had that tragic event. If anybody stands up in front of you and says, I have lost somebody that I loved. I lived through a cancer that I shouldn't have. I've, you know, had this immense tragedy that's happened to me. And now I know the secrets of the universe. Those are the people that I'm like, ah, oh, you aren't helping. These are not the folks that are helping. But if you start simple practices of paying attention to yourself first, then that limitless life pops. It happens 100% of the time that I have found. Of all the people that have worked with me and for myself, it's that limitless life. As soon as I started paying attention to myself, I changed the major relationships in my life. I changed my vocation actually two times. I really examined my life. I'm like, what are the things that I want to be doing? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to go do those now. I was executive in a very safe job, making a lot of money. And I'm like, uh, you know what? The things that get me through my life is not necessarily like my job title or the money that I make or any of those things. It's the people that I have in my life. And it's like, okay, who are the people that I have in my life? And it's like, okay, what are the other things that I want to do in this integrated life? I'm like, well, you know what? I really want to travel. And so like, I got rid of my great house in the suburbs because it wasn't serving me anymore. And I'm like, and I started traveling. But the step before that was, oh, you know what? I didn't really have a vocation that was mobile. I'm like, okay, well, let's change that. And I spent about a year like, it was like, well, you know, is there work that I can do anywhere? I'm like, yes, there is. And so all of these things started opening up for me. One of my clients, an executive at a large nonprofit, we spent about a year together, almost a year together. And she did quite, you know, very successful at her job. And she started really paying attention to herself. She lost 30 or 40 pounds and, you know, many, many inches off of her body and completely transformed her relationships. And then her vocation, she called me up a few weeks ago and said, I submitted my resignation to the board and I asked her, what? well, tell me more. And she said, you know, my work was not serving me. It didn't have my best interests and it wasn't aligned with who I am. I'm like, well, what's going to be next for you? And she goes, I don't know. And I'm totally open to the possibilities. I think in the short term, I'll do some contracting and these things, but I want to live a different life. I'm like, wow. 
you live limitlessly, it means that you can change everything. You have choice. So much of our world is about saying, I can't, I won't, I don't, I don't have choice. And it really is, you do. And it starts with the first question of like, what do you want? What do you want? There you go. That is the guide, isn't it? Getting in touch with yourself, knowing what you want. What do you want? Mm. And then, you know, what will having that do for you? How will you know when you have it? When do you want it? Where do you want it? With whom do you want it? Is there anything that you might lose if you have that really great outcome? And that's when they start like, oh, you know what? I want a different relationship. I want a different job. I want a different relationship with myself. I want to love myself. I want to bring more to my friends, my family, my kids. It's like, okay, there are very few people that I've met who've been completely self-actualized and said, you know what? My life is completely perfect as it is. I usually find people who are like, you know, they are ambitious to do something more. And I'm like, okay, what stops you? And I'm like, oh, you know, can we work on that? You know, what do you want? I love it. I think this is a really great place for us to land. Just refocusing on what it is that you want. When you know that, everything else comes into clarity too. You have your reason. You have your why. You have your why. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. How can our listeners find you? You can find me at Limitless. It's L-I-M-I-T-L dot es there's no dot com or dot org or the rest of it it's just type l-i-m-i-t-l dot es and you can also reach me at dave at limitless the same way and i look forward to talking with them wonderful thank you so much thank you so i'm curious what you learned from today's conversation that you're taking with you. For me, it's this acronym MEDS, to take your meds, mindfulness, exercise, diet, and sleep. How just crucial and important those elements of daily living are. And when they get out of balance, how it it really affects everything. So I'm, I'm really going to be turning inward, tuning inward. And I'm actually ramping up right now um, at this point in the season for me to take a pause. My kids are finishing school for the summer and I want to spend a lot more time with them. I have a good amount of episodes banked already recorded and I'll be tripping them out over the next month or two and then I may go quiet. I haven't fully decided yet but I may go quiet for a little while and uh, come back probably mid-fall or so. I'm really still thinking into this and dreaming about kind of what what my own energy needs. It takes a lot to sustain the podcast. And I'd love to ask for your help. I'd love to ask you to help me in a few different ways. Probably the easiest way that you could help is just by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already done that, I'd love to hear your feedback there, to, to see your review there. I'd also really honestly love to hear your feedback about this episode and many others. You can join our Pobscast community on Facebook, or you can drop me an email at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. And one more way that you can help to support the Pobscast. I have this fun little online discussion group. We're calling it the Wild Women 
discussion group, we're talking about the places in our lives that we conform and inhibit our truest natures. We're talking about how we get back to ourselves. All of the proceeds from these discussion groups go directly towards supporting the Pobscast. So if you're interested, then go to practiceofbeingseen.com slash wildwomen to join us. And um, gosh, I have so many other things coming, but I think I'm just going to leave it there. My mastermind has just finished recruiting. We're going to be starting next week. I'm so excited. There's such an amazing crew of people. <sighs> we have some couples intensive retreats coming up. Um, individual couples just working on their stuff directly with me at an amazing resort facility. So there's, there's just so much happening here. And this is why I'm kind of really digesting this episode and feeling like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to slow down a little bit too. There's, there's a lot going on here that I have to work on integrating. And there's been so many amazing conversations. I, I hope you agree with me this season that I just want to go back through and fully digest. I don't know. Maybe there's some writing for me to do in there too. So I'd like to give some thanks. I'm, I'm not done for the season yet. You're going to be continuing to hear from me for a while. But in the interim, I, I just want to let you know that I have an amazing team over here. I, I absolutely could not produce this podcast without the support of Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr. Produced by Kidney Stone Studio. And I hope that you're going to join us again next week for another episode of The Pobscast, brought to you by Connectfulness.